Well, good evening, Genesis, whether you are tuning in via our Facebook Live page or tuning in via our website, we're thankful that you're taking some time on a Thursday evening uh, to join us. Uh, this is quite a moment that we are in, not just here in New England, not even just in America, but this is quite a moment that our world is having together right now. It's a shared moment. As of this moment, there are over one million people in the world that have been diagnosed with COVID-19. And as of tonight, around 6 o'clock, there's been over 52,000 people worldwide that have already died as a result of COVID-19. So it's safe to say that we are in a moment that we have never experienced before. Uh, now, I don't mean to suggest that our world has never seen a moment like this before. If you were to talk to any medical historian, they would clearly tell you that there have been numerous plagues uh, that have devastated the world. Uh, example, Plague of Justinian in 541 killed over 30 million people. That was roughly half the world's population at the time, where you have the bubonic plague, which was known as Black Death, which killed over 200 million people over the span of four years. Or maybe the plague of London, which happened in 1665, which really was a return of Black Death, and that killed over 20% of London's population at the time. Or maybe you have the Spanish flu, which hit largely in 1918, which they estimated killed over 50 million people. Now, I'm not mentioning these plagues to diminish what's happening right now in this moment. Rather, I just want to simply point out, our world has gone through moments like this before. But what's happening with COVID-19 right now is we, for the first time, are experiencing a moment that we've never experienced before, when the world literally has gone on lockdown or quarantine, when the world's economy has completely tanked because of COVID-19, where the world's experiencing just countless numbers of jobs that have been lost. And because of COVID-19, just fear has gripped people's hearts worldwide. Now, for me personally, this has been kind of a mixed bag of emotions that I have been wrestling with. I've been wrestling with questions like, am I even taking COVID-19 seriously enough? Then I have moments where I'm like, gosh, if I just catch this thing, am I going to die because of it? Or I start thinking about, what if my wife, what if my three kids catch COVID-19? I start thinking about my parents or thinking about family or start even thinking about people here within the Genesis community. What happens if... And when someone from our community comes down with COVID-19 and I start thinking about all the financial issues and all the jobs that have been lost and being even thinking about and wrestling with, gosh, what if the finances at Genesis just take a huge hit? And what does that mean maybe for our staff? What does that mean for even being able to pay, things, pay for things such as rent? Now, I'm guessing that you can probably relate to the things that I'm thinking, things that I've been wrestling with. Your questions clearly might be a little bit different, but I'm guessing you've experienced a myriad of emotions in this COVID-19 moment we're all in. I'm guessing you've been just wrestling with things like, gosh, when do I get to see people again? You've been in quarantine now for roughly three weeks. 
Like, when is it okay to start interacting with people again? And when I start interacting with people again, how weird is it going to be? Am I allowed to hug them? Am I allowed to even shake their hands? Am I allowed to even do fist bumps? Or are we just going to be wearing masks and gloves literally for the next few years? Or you might be struggling with, what about my job? Or what about my financial situation? And if your parents have, and you have kids, you're probably like, when are my kids going to be able to go back to school? And thinking about, gosh, are my kids even going to be safe in this moment when they do go back to school? Now, what I've noticed about me at least, and I think you can probably relate with this, is that when things get challenging, say for example, like a worldwide pandemic, our hearts and our heads begin to get flooded with all sorts of questions. Now, some of the questions that we're asking are very practical in nature. Some are very logistical in nature. Some of the things that we might begin thinking about are just crazy. Like, is this going to become like a Walking Dead type of moment? Now, if you're not familiar with Walking Dead, this is not a good season to start watching The Walking Dead. But you might just have questions about some of the deep pains or the concerns that you are now experiencing and feeling right now. So as I've been thinking about all the questions that are swimming around in our heads and our hearts, I've actually started thinking about another question. And the question that I've been really thinking about is this. What question is on God's mind right now? Like, we're filled with questions, but what question is on God's mind right now? Now, if you're not even familiar with the Bible, and you just decided to spend maybe a few hours walking through some of the stories, specifically some of the really challenging stories that the Bible presents, I'm pretty confident that even after a few hours of not knowing much about the Bible, you would probably come to the same conclusion or answer the same question of what is God thinking about, what is His question for us that I would. Because I think the question that God is thinking about right now, the question that God has for us is this, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Now, over the past few weeks, every time my mind and my heart starts racing with all sorts of just different questions, I've been confronted with this question. Michael, will you trust me? In this moment that you are in, Michael, will you trust me? Now, tonight, we're going to finish up the series that we've been in over the past few weeks, Don't Waste This Moment. And I want to look at one story where the main character in this story was confronted with the same question that you and I are being confronted with in this moment that we are in. Will you trust God? In this moment, will you trust God? And I want to be clear, it's not will you trust God that nothing bad is going to happen to you in this moment. What I'm asking, what God is ultimately asking us is, will you trust God even if and when something bad happens to us in this moment? So the story I want to look at, the main character, his name is Joseph. Now, if you're not familiar with Joseph, we first encounter Joseph when he's a teenager at age 17. And his story starts in the book of Genesis, chapter 37. And like many teenagers, Joseph is pretty cocky, pretty confident, pretty arrogant. Now, if you're an only child, well, that's not that big of a deal. But if you're one of 12 brothers, being cocky and confident and arrogant is not going to go well for you with your other brothers. 
So if you have a Bible, open up with me to Genesis chapter 37, and this is the story of how his brothers made a decision to treat Joseph. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Now, I grew up in the 80s. Uh, I'm a product of the 80s. Now, if you're not familiar with the 80s, one of the biggest stars in the 80s was a guy named Michael Jackson. And in 1984, so I would have been 12 years old in 1984, my family got tickets to go see Michael Jackson uh, for his victory tour. That was the name of the tour. The day of the concert, I'm the youngest of five, my older brother and one of my sisters decided, we don't want our younger brother to go to the concert. So they told my parents a lie about me that I had done something wrong. And because I got usually blamed for everything, my parents decided to punish me and say, Michael, you can't go to the Michael Jackson concert tonight. Now, whether you're a Michael Jackson fan or not, uh, I was devastated that I could not go see a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see Michael Jackson in concert. That was about the level of dysfunctionality of my family. I'm guessing all of us have experienced dysfunctionality in our home, but I'm guessing not too many of us have ever had a moment where our siblings began plotting out our murder. Now, thankfully, one of Joseph's brother's conscience kicked in, and he nixed the whole idea of let's kill our brother plan in favor of, hey, rather than kill him, Let's not do that. Let's just sell our brother into slavery. So I'm guessing in this moment, Joseph is now beginning to start to ask these questions of, God, what on earth are you doing in this moment? My brothers wanted to kill me, and now they've decided to sell me into slavery. God, why is this happening to me in this moment? Now, how many times have you already asked God, some of those same questions just over the past 21 days. God, what are you doing in this moment? Why is this happening right now? Because I'm guessing for many of us, we just want this moment that we are currently in just to be over. Well, for Joseph, this moment that he was now entering into, well, it would be a moment that would go on for the next 13 years. So after his brothers sold Joseph into slavery, he was brought down to Egypt, and he became a slave, and his owner, his name was a man named Potiphar. Now, in the beginning of when Joseph had a relationship with Potiphar serving as a slave in this guy's household, it seemed like things were going pretty good for Joseph. This is a, a story of when Joseph basically comes into Potiphar's home, starting Genesis 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. So this pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant, and he put him in charge of the entire household, everything he owned. From the day that Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. 
all his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock, they flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food he should eat. Sounds like a pretty good deal that Joseph was in right now. Potiphar basically trusted Joseph with everything except his food. So I'm guessing Joseph was terrible in the kitchen, but apparently he was able to do everything else for Potiphar. And maybe you noticed this, but there was one reason that things began apparently to go really well for Joseph, and it's in Genesis 39.2. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, it would be very easy to conclude that God's presence in Joseph's life meant that everything would be smooth sailing for him from here on out. But that couldn't be any further from the truth. As I have been sitting with Joseph's stories, one of the things that I wrote down in my journal this week is this. God's presence does not protect us from pain. God's presence in our life does not protect us from pain. Just because God is with us, it does not mean that we will somehow be spared from painful moments and experiencing painful moments in our life. So many men and women in the Bible, men and women, people like Job or King David or Ruth or Mary or Paul or even Jesus, all people who experience the presence of God were never spared from walking through and experiencing painful moments in their life. See, I think the common misconception that many people have is that if God loved us, He would spare us from ever experiencing any painful moments in our life. But as we're going to see in Joseph's story, God uses pain to point people to God. God uses pain in our lives to point us, to point other people to God. Let me give you an example. If tonight you began to have difficulty breathing, I'm pretty confident your first thought that you're going to have is, gosh, I probably have COVID-19 and I'll be dead when I wake up in the morning. My point being, pain helps us realize that something is off. Pain helps us realize that something is wrong. Pain helps us realize that we actually have a need. As Joseph is now beginning to experience pain, as we're going to see as we walk through his story, the pain that he already was experiencing is going to go from bad to really, really bad. Because in the story, what happens next in Potiphar's home is Potiphar's wife begins to take a serious interest in Joseph. And she takes advantage of every moment that she has with Joseph to try to seduce him to get him to go to bed with her. But Joseph, being a man of godly character, continues to refuse every advance that she makes on Joseph. And as you can imagine, every time she is making an advance on him and he rejects her, she is getting more and more angry with Joseph. And so she decides to do something awful. She falsely accuses Joseph of raping her. Now, this is the story of Joseph has just been accused falsely of raping this woman, and the woman tells her husband about Joseph, again, falsely accusing him of rape. And this is Potiphar's response to Joseph in Genesis 39. Potiphar was furious 
when he heard his wife's story about, jo- how had jo- about how Joseph had treated her. And so he took Joseph and he threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Potiphar hears about what Joseph apparently had done and decides to throw him into prison. Now, being falsely accused is just one of the hardest things. But being falsely accused specifically when you're actually trying to live a life above reproach, well, gosh, that's even more difficult. I can't even fathom what it would have been like for Joseph, who was trying to be a man of integrity, be falsely accused of rape and then thrown into prison as a result. So I'm guessing the questions are now beginning to flood Joseph's heart and mind. God, what are you doing? God, in this moment, why are you allowing this to happen? I'm already a slave, but now I'm going to be a prisoner. God, why are you allowing this to happen? Like I've already mentioned before, God's presence doesn't protect us from pain, but what I want us to see in Joseph's story is this. Pain does not separate us from God's presence. Pain does not separate us from God's presence. No matter how bad the moment might be, no matter how painful the moment might be, pain does not or will not separate us from God's presence. Look what happened to Joseph's story as we go on in Joseph in prison, starting in verse 29, or starting in verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Joseph was not alone in prison. God was with him, but let's not forget, he was still in prison. God's presence didn't miraculously do a jailbreak, but God's presence changed Joseph's presence while he was in prison, meaning Joseph found favor in the eyes of the warden. Now, as you read further into Joseph's story while he was in prison, he not only found favor in the eyes of the warden, but he was actually used by God to help fellow prison mates hear and understand God's voice and God's work in their life. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced the pain of being forgotten about. Meaning the pain of, like, you seriously tried to help someone, and you did help them. And they didn't only forget about how you helped them, but they actually completely forgot about you altogether. Not just how you helped them, but they didn't even choose to remember who you were. Well, this is exactly what happened to Joseph. After being in prison for years, one of the former prisoners uh, that Joseph had helped had an opportunity to help Joseph get out of prison, because this now man who has been freed is standing before Pharaoh, and it says in Genesis 40, verse 23, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought, meaning he completely forgot about the help that Joseph provided, and he just forgot about Joseph altogether. Now, if this were my story, My story being, my murder had been plotted by my family, 
Then I was sold into slavery by my family. Then I was falsely accused of raping someone. Then I was wrongfully thrown into prison. And then while in prison, I was completely forgotten about. I'm guessing I'd be having a very difficult time if that was my story, being able to say, yeah, God, I totally trust you. In light of everything that's happened, God, I absolutely, 100% trust you. I mean, think about this for a moment. If this was you, if this was your story, would you be in a place where you could say in all integrity, yeah, God, I absolutely, wholeheartedly, 100% trust you. See, what I've learned over the years is that painful moments have a way of revealing where our trust truly lies. Meaning, are we just trusting God to protect us from something, primarily painful things, painful moments, or are we actually trusting God regardless of what actually happens to us in our story? While we're in this COVID-19 moment that the entire planet is actually experiencing, I've seen a lot of people say, and when I say say, I mean I've seen a lot of people post this quote, the idea of faith over fear. Now, this makes for a really good tweet, makes for a good social update, because it's somewhat catchy and it's memorable and it sounds true enough. But what a tweet like this why it is so problematic is because it implies that, hey, if you just trust God, that's all you do. If you just trust God, God is going to protect you from pain. God's going to protect you from COVID-19. God is going to protect your job. He's going to protect your money and your finances. It's this idea that if I just trust God, I have no need to fear because God is going to protect me from experiencing any painful moments moving forward. I want to say this in the most loving way that I possibly can. That is just not true. That's not even remotely close to the truth. As we're seeing in Joseph's story tonight, God did not protect Joseph from pain. Rather, God invited Joseph to trust him in the midst of his pain. God didn't protect Joseph from, Joseph from pain, but he invited Joseph to trust him in the midst of his pain. One of the things that Joseph's story teaches us tonight is that God does not always protect people, us, from painful moments. But one of the things that we can have confidence in is this. God uses painful moments for redemptive moments. God uses painful moments in our life, like Joseph, for redemptive moments. After Joseph had spent years in prison, Joseph was brought before Pharaoh uh, in order to interpret some dreams that Pharaoh had been having in the exact same way that he had done for some fellow prisoners. So Joseph comes before Pharaoh and not only correctly interprets the dreams that Pharaoh was having, but he also gives Pharaoh some wisdom, some counsel on how you can, he had predicted in the dream or interpreted in the dream that there is going to be a worldwide famine that's going to devastate not only Egypt, but devastate the world around. And so Joseph gave Pharaoh some wisdom, some counsel of how he could actually navigate this worldwide famine that was going to strike pretty soon. So Pharaoh's response to Joseph 
was to actually give him a tremendous promotion where Joseph went from prisoner to prime minister. Now, with Joseph serving as second in command only to Pharaoh, he's going to have the opportunity now to save many people, including his own family, when the worldwide famine is about to strike. When Joseph meets up with his brothers, again, after 13 pain-filled years, you can imagine that this is probably going to be one of the more awkward moment family-type reunions, but also a moment of great fear for Joseph's brothers. Because Joseph's brothers are going to be thinking to themselves, gosh, is Joseph, is he going to pay us back for how we wronged him, how we thought about killing him, and then sold him into slavery? Is Joseph going to get us back for everything we did to him? But when Joseph gets to see his brothers, and his brothers have this fear about what he might now do, this is Joseph's response in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me into this position so I could save the lives of many people. How is it possible that after 13 years, slavery, then being falsely accused of rape, then prison, and then being forgotten about, how is it possible after experiencing and enduring all those painful moments that Joseph could say to his brothers, I want you to know, God intended all of this for good. He intended all of this actually for the saving of many lives. Well, the answer to that question is really found in four simple, but I think pretty transformational words. The answer is just simply this, I will trust God. I will trust God. His trust for Joseph was rooted in God alone. That's it. His trust wasn't rooted in a situation or circumstance that he was in. His trust was just rooted in God and God alone. The moment that we are in right now is painful. For some, it's painful physically. For some, it's painful emotionally. For some, it's painful relationally. For some, it's just painful even financially. And so in this moment that you and I are in right now, really that the world is in, we have a choice before us. And I love how the psalmist actually laid out this choice for us very clear. The psalmist says in Psalm 56, 3, but when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. When I have fear of the situation I am, situation that I'm in, I will put my trust in you. So I think God's question for you, for me tonight, will you, will I trust God? And to be clear, it's not trusting that God will spare you or save you from painful moments, but it's trusting that God will use your painful moments for redemptive moments. It's trusting that God, no matter what happens to me, no matter what I go through, I'm trusting that you'll use this painful moment for a redemptive moment, not only in my life, but maybe in the lives of many people around me. Now, I want to ask you to do something. Uh, from where you are watching this right now, if you would, raise your hand if trusting God is something that you're struggling to do right now. Now, obviously, I can't see you, but I'm guessing 
a lot of hands just probably went straight up to say, yeah, I am absolutely having a hard time trusting God in this moment that I am in right now. And so I guess I would ask the question, why is it so difficult? Why is it so hard to trust God? And I think the answer is very simple. It's this. We want to trust a God who will spare us from painful moments. We want to trust a God who will spare us from painful moments. Meaning when we begin to have painful moments, we assume, God, you must not care about me. And if the assumption is, God, you don't care about me, it's hard to trust in a God that you think doesn't care about you. Now imagine for a moment if God spared his own son, Jesus, from experiencing pain in his life. Imagine if God actually said, you know what, I'm going to spare Jesus from being betrayed. I'm going to spare Jesus from being denied. I'm going to spare Jesus from being deserted and mocked and rejected and beaten and flogged and crucified. If God would have done that, we would accuse God of being absolutely unloving because God didn't provide a way for sinful people like you and I to have a relationship with a holy God. So for me, I'm eternally grateful that God did not spare Jesus from experiencing pain because if he had done that, well, then hell would now become my eternal reality because no amount of good works that I would ever do in my life could equate to actually working my way into the presence of a holy God. So if you're having a difficult time tonight being able to de declare, God, I will trust you. If you're having a hard time tonight saying, God, I, I trust you, well, then I want to invite you to turn your attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're struggling to trust, I want to invite you to turn your attention to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul wrote many of the letters in the New Testament, and one of the things that he says in Colossians about the gospel of what Jesus has done is this. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. See what Jesus accomplished on the cross Paying the penalty for my sin, for all of our sin, brings anyone and everyone who would trust in Jesus and Jesus alone to not only have peace with God right now, forgiveness of all our sins, but to have peace with God for eternity. See, the cross clearly demonstrates that God uses painful moments for redemptive moments. So tonight, I just want to ask again, will you trust God for the moment that we are in right now? And if you're struggling to trust God in the moment, then please turn your attention to the gospel of what God has done. He didn't spare his son from painful moments. He didn't spare his son from that so that you and I could experience a redemptive moment, a moment that would not only change our life here and now, but a, light, a moment that would change our eternity forever.